that you kind of control your own your own destiny and the uh the the conditions are always changing so you know what you did last year might not work for this year and uh that's the challenge that i love this is fishtails a seafood podcast i'm john sussman as we discovered in the last episode of Fishtail's Seafood Podcast, Sean Dwyer is a unique and talented fisherman. Working in one of the world's most dangerous fisheries from 13 years of age, he took the helm of his own vessel at 23, becoming the youngest captain to work the Bering Sea in search of one of the most high-value seafoods to be found, the illustrious king crab. The Bering Sea, located between Far East Russia and Alaska, is one of the most dangerous places to fish in the world. Sean calls the sea a continuous storm. Alaskan crab fishing is unquestionably one of the most dangerous jobs to be had. Fishermen are susceptible to crippling injuries caused by working long hours with heavy machinery and gear in the freezing, rough and harsh conditions. For many captains, these challenges would be overwhelming. For Sean Dwyer, it's just another day at the office. You know, where it gets really sketchy is uh, when those winds are blowing and the tide's ripping and and, uh, and, and it's cold. Um, we've, we've lost a couple of boats in our fleet um, the last couple of years, uh, which is, you know, it, tragedy in our fishery is, is kind of, you know, what spawns some of the uh, allure to people it's also like why we have the program called deadliest catch is because it it was the deadliest fishing job you could do one of the deadliest jobs in the world and uh, um, since our fishery structure changed to that quota system i just described we haven't had a whole lot of loss but in the last couple of years we've lost two boats to uh, to icing and heavy freezing spray and so what happens is you know you're out there and it's it's cold, obviously. It's it's you know it's uh, <clears throat> it will be in the negative degrees C <laughs> for 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 sure. It's uh, you know like in the twenties and the teens for Fahrenheit, and um, when that wind starts blowing, it kicks up spray, and the spray sticks to the boat, and it changes the the vessel's center of gravity. So big seas are are in my mind annoying. You know they're not dangerous per se our, our boats are pretty stout um you know it's funny the the boat that i started fishing on the jennifer a when it would get really rough um when it was too rough to fish and too rough to travel we would just kick the boat out of gear and drift we would just bob you know we'd let the let the waves push us around and 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 we were we were as safe as could be um so our boats are are inherently you know stable but when you pile that ice on and that center of gravity gets raised up and it changes and shifts um that's when things get really dangerous and you know some of the most scary times that i've had is um when you've got a boat full of crab or a boat full of pots and then you run into some weather and then it's getting cold out and um and that's you know the boats start getting heavy and you can feel it i mean you can feel the roll of the boat as the boat's rolling side to side it's starting to hang out and then slowly ride itself back and that's that's the scary stuff and so we get out there and you know you you go out and you break ice guys get out there with uh rubber mallets big rubber mallets basically and break the ice off the boat but i mean we've had times where we will be in that kind of weather and just 
what we call jogging, which is just trying to keep the boat in place, moving as slow as possible, building as little spray as possible. Um, and, uh, you know, you can build two inches of ice in an hour, three inches of ice in an hour. And that's on, you know, that's a lot of weight, right? I mean, it starts to build and then the surface that it's building on is now bigger because it's got ice and it's just this big snowball And the guys. It's terrible on the crew, you know, because you're fishing all day and or all night and then you stop because it's rough weather, but that doesn't mean you get to rest. You just got to go swing a hammer every couple hours to break ice off the boat. And, uh, actually one of the biggest, tools <laughs> you know if you're if it's cold like that and you're as far north as we are in the bering sea a lot of times you're you're by the the actual sea ice ice pack and if the wind is blowing out of the north it's that cold wind and you, what you'll do is you just drive the boat towards the sea ice and as you get up towards the ice it's way colder i mean it's it's you know you could be below zero and blowing 40 knots but that ice is basically like a blanket on the the water surface and it it kills all that spray and so um you know it's crazy you'll be sitting there and it'll be blowing i mean i can remember sitting next to the ice pack a couple years ago it was blowing 60 miles an hour 70 miles an hour and the boat would heel over on those big wind gusts, but we were in the ice pack. So it was like a big blanket and it was flat, calm, cold, 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 blowing really hard. But you're just like, it's almost like you drove the boat into like a parking spot, you know, and it's just like nestled in. And uh, so it's that ice is, is uh, it can be your friend sometimes. The red king crab is a very large species, sometimes reaching a carapace width of 30 centimetres and a leg span of 1.8 metres. King crabs are unique not only because of how large they are and how delicious their meat tastes, but also because they only have six legs. They are one of the most prized premium seafoods to be found in high demand throughout the world of fine dining. A lot of our uh, king crab is uh, is exported. Um, we have a big market for uh, uh, like kind of the Thanksgiving holiday market, but there's also a big following for king crab in Japan. There's a holiday that that uh, is in the fall that they like to have our crab for. Um, in a recent shift, we've had more product going to like domestic United States and Canada, North America. Um, our snow crab, a lot of that ends up domestic. Um, it go, you know, snow crab is kind of like um, is the cheaper alternative to Bering Sea king crab. Um, there's a lot more of it typically, so that's the kind of crab that you'll see at the the restaurants or in food service or at hotels and um or you know like the big casino hotel kind of thing in vegas where they have the big buffets and they've got you know crab all you can eat kind of stuff um not a lot of our product ends up at the supermarket for the consumer to purchase you know directly um it does there's a couple of seafood or supermarket kind of chains here in the u.s that they carry our crab and you know they'll have it at your local store but um a lot of it goes into food service. King crab fishing is a high-stakes business, but with the big risks come big rewards. It attracts a special kind of fisherman who's prepared to work long hours in harsh conditions, 
But for who, the thrill of the hunt is never diminished. That is one of the hardest parts of the job is crew and crew management. Um, it takes a special kind of person to go out there, really. I mean, <clears throat> you're, a lo- you're a long ways from home. You're, you're there for a while, and it's a hard job. So typically, I've been fortunate enough to hire guys that have some sort of fishing experience, whether that's salmon fishing in the summertime or halibut fishing in the wintertime or spraying or um, you know, even even trawling for Pollock or something in the Bering Sea or or whatever it may be. I, I, I try to get guys that have boat knowledge and fishing experience because it, it kind of tees them up to be ready for what we're gonna go do. In my mind, and, and this is probably just me thinking selfishly, I think that Bering Sea crab fishing is the hardest kind of fishing you can do. And so it's, uh, it's, you know, there's not very many boats out there. So it's hard to get guys that have experience doing it. This year, we only had 38 active vessels, your average crew, you know, round that up to 40 and six guys per boat. That's only 240 people in the world that fished crab in the Bering Sea this year. So, you know, it's hard to get guys with experience. Um, Back in the day when there were 300 boats, no problem. You know, there were guys walking the dock all the time. But nowadays, it's, uh, you know, you try to get guys that that have experience on boats, um, and then you kind of go from there. And uh, it's tough, you know. It's, it's not as glamorous as it used to be. I mean, I was talking about that big shift in that uh, total allowable catch. I mean, that translates to less money for crew members, right? I mean, two years ago, they were they were all making really good money, you know, a couple hundred grand a year off of this crab thing. And, uh, you know, you cut that by 90%. That's a, that's a pretty big cut. Deadliest Catch is the hugely successful documentary series which chronicles the life of the Alaskan king crab fisherman. Premiering in 2005, it's become one of the highest rating shows in the world. Becoming a star of such a show is both rewarding and at times an anchor. It's an amazing thing, really. I mean, I uh, I don't have uh, um, any any way to describe it other than you know it's just it's an incredible uh, program that's you know that's really covered the whole world. Um, I, I I got on the show um, when my my dad was going through all of his uh, his ALS stuff. My mom. Uh, she was his primary caretaker and she found that uh, writing was a good way for her to kind of express herself and vent, you know, her frustrations and uh, and you know, that uh, that first boat that we had sinking, my mom swore swore up and down that, that her son would never go out and fish crab in the Bering Sea and uh, here we are. So when I started fishing, my dad was sick and my mom was stressed out. So she wrote a blog that was called Crabby Mama. And uh, a producer from the show found that blog and said, this is great. We want to we wanna have you guys on the show. And, um, and they sent a camera crew for an interview. Um, kind of like a, you know, like a practice run and, and things went well and, and then, uh, yeah, off we go. So it's, uh, it's been crazy. I mean, it, I've been on the show. Uh, I was on the show for four years in a row from season 12 to season 15. Um, and then I was off the show, my contract expired and, and, um, 
I frankly probably wasn't exciting enough for them to, to want to, uh, 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 you know, renew my contract. And then uh, last year they, uh, with that big reduction in our, our fisheries, they reached out again and said, Hey, you know, we're looking to get another boat or two back on the show. We liked what you had last time. Do you want to come back on? And I said, sure. So there's two guys that come on the boat with us. And uh, the first thing that happens is that the boat is rigged for production in Dutch Harbor. So they, the production company, Original Productions, they'll fly um, about a dozen people up and, you know, a couple thousand pounds of camera gear. And they, they mount stationary cameras on the boat that record to decks. Um, there's four of them. And, uh, and then there's two camera guys that come with us as well. One of them is the kind of the, the lead guy in the wheelhouse. He's the producer. And then there's another guy um, on deck who's a deck shooter. And they work together to to really kind of just kind of capture what we've got going on. You know, I mean, the, the, uh, the logistics of it are are a little complicated sometimes just because you have two more bodies on the boat and then you have all this gear that gets set up. You know, you have these cameras that are mounted. Um, and then, you know, of course they need to have their spare equipment and whatnot. But as far as interactions with, with the camera guys themselves, I've only had like, I've only had one guy out of, you know, probably a dozen that I've worked with or more on board a vessel that, that really just didn't work out. And the guy was going through some personal issues and, and he left on his own accord, but you know, they really kind of, they do an amazing job really of, of, of getting people ready for what they're about to experience. And then also trying to match personalities because you know, that the thing about it is that, that, that I, I can't, I, I tell my crew members, a camera holds you accountable. You know, they're not going to make you say anything you don't want to say, but if you said it, <laughs> then you said it. So, uh, you know, and, and really kind of getting a guy that's, you know, that you get along with or a crew that you get along with, um, it really makes it more fun. You know, there's, there's always something that happens. I mean, that's why the show has lasted as long as it has It's no day, no two days are the same. And, uh, things happen. And, you know, so f f for the camera perspective, the production perspective, being able to capture that, sometimes they miss things, you know, the stationary cameras help pick up the slap slack there. And then, you know, it's, it's really just about having the camera crew kind of cooperate with, you know, the vessel crew to get good content when things do go wrong. You know, I'll be honest, I don't watch the show. Um, I've seen, probably uh, uh uh two of the uh of the five two shows out of the five seasons that i've you know probably a hundred shows that i've been on i uh i i just i don't i watched it the first couple time you know when it when it first came out we we had like a party with our friends and family just some low-key and and i i looked at myself on the camera and i thought man i, I hate this <laughs> i don't want to see myself talking my voice sounds weird to me and i don't like it and uh <laughs> so i i haven't watched it but you know i get looks from people i'll i'll uh you know there was there was an, an episode a while back where uh um, me and one of the other boats were, you know, having some communication breakdown issues and, and I wasn't responding and he wasn't responding and that made some people angry. And, uh, 
I was at the <laughs> at the supermarket and a guy came up to me and you know said, "Oh, you Sean?" I'm like, "Yep." He's like, "Huh? Yeah. I'm a Cornelia Marie friend. I don't like you." I'm like, "Oh, okay. <laughs> Thanks. I'm gonna go ahead and get my steaks and move on." <laughs> so, yeah. It's not just the captain and crew of a Bering Sea fishing boat that are subject to the stress and strain of being at sea. Consider the impact on the families of the fishermen, not knowing how, when, or even if they will return safely from their work. Oh, I think it's pretty tough on um, on them. You know, when I'm when I'm gone, it's thing about it too is that you know I when I'm up there, my focus it it really has to be you know, directed a hundred percent towards what the task at hand, you know, I, I have a tough time keeping up on emails. I have a tough time keeping up on, you know, communications sometimes just because of the, you know, the nature of the job when you're, when you're in those, you know, those situations where you're building ice or it's rough or whatever, it's, it's hard to be, uh, uh, as the captain, it's hard to be concerned about what's going on at home. And, um, Bree does an amazing job of understanding that and realizing that, you know, it's not that I can't communicate right now or, or I don't want to respond. It's just, I've got, I've got to pay attention to my guys that are on deck and keep people safe. And, you know, and so I know that she, she in a way has like, you know, kind of protected or, or not told me things that are going on at home just because she doesn't want me to think about it. And, um, you know, for the, for the good of everybody basically. And, uh, and it's tough, you know, I mean, she knows my mom knows everybody kind of knows what's going on. Um, and, uh, that it's a dangerous job and, and that every time we leave the dock, there is a possibility that we might not come back. So, um, being being gone this last year and having our daughter at home for me it was harder i mean it was harder to to keep my my head in the game sometimes you know and and um yeah it's uh it's rough you know it's uh sometimes it's just it's all you can do to just like uh keep focused on on you know okay i just i just need to get get my head back in the game and get back on these crab and you know try not to be too homesick because uh we we have satellite you know communications we can text on whatsapp or you know facetime and we can talk back and forth and it's a beautiful thing but sometimes it's like a distraction too you know and i i I have to like realize sometimes to to get to get home quicker i need to uh I need to just make some decisions, you know, that are, that are based on, on fishing, you know, not anything else. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough part of the job. Since 2005, when the Bering Sea crab fishery converted from a derby or Olympic fishery where the best fishermen caught the most to a quota management system, the stocks and health of the fishery have been closely monitored and managed. Along with quota, the fishery managers impose harvest strategies which aim to maintain sufficient spawning stock for sustainable ongoing harvest. But the threat of climate change promises to be the biggest challenge to the commercial fishermen in the Bering Sea. So our king crab season has has been closed this uh, this last year. It's the first time it's been closed in over 25 years. And um, that was due to a reduction in, in stock populations. Um, that fishery, I think, is really climate dependent. 
Um, and so what happens is every summer there's a survey, and it's currently going on right now. Um, there's a survey that goes out and samples the Bering Sea to figure out the crab stocks, and then the the tack is set from there. And um, that survey came up with not a lot of crab um, anywhere, frankly. And that's how we ended up with our king crab season closed and our snow crab season down um, 90%. So when I, when I think about what the future might be for the fisheries, um, my personal biggest concern is, um, is climate change in the Bering Sea. And I've seen it just in my short tenure. Um, I've seen it to where instead of going a day out of Dutch Harbor, we're going three days out of Dutch Harbor to the north. And, um, you know, we're having to chase these crab way, way, way further away than we ever have, further to the north, further to colder water. And um, to me, that's the biggest standout is um, is that, that the Bering Sea is changing. And what that means, and if it's, um, you know, if it's, if it's like a short time cycle or if it's a long term, you know, thing, obviously we, we have an idea that the Bering Sea is warming generally over the long term, but we do get these cold snaps that bring the temperature back down temporarily and the stocks move pretty quick. Um, so, but there's other issues at hand. There's, um, there's predation, uh, codfish, Pacific cod like to eat crab. Um, they, uh, we've seen them really kind of rise up in the last couple of years. There's, there's bycatch issues with different fisheries operating in the Bering Sea that, um, may or may not have bigger impacts than we think. And, and, and so it's really, you know, kind of what you don't see on the show is, is all the behind the scenes of, of what it takes to really come up with a, an amount for a directed fishery and then the political process that it is to, to maintain the health of these crab stocks. And that's something that I was kind of born into as well with my parents is that, uh, you know, it's not just about fishing. It's a lot more, um, it's a lot more involved than that. You know, there's a lot that goes on to, to set the quotas, to, to monitor the stocks, to, to keep regulation in check or, you know, to add regulation to make uh, the fishery more profitable or beneficial to the communities. So, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot to it. With such a short, intense fishing season, most Bering Sea crab fishers are involved in other fishing activities. For Sean, it is about using his skills and knowledge to use his downtime from the Bering Sea productively. We we bought and uh, we recently just sold. Actually, uh, we had a little uh, little for us a thirty four foot long boat um, that we were fishing uh, Dungeness crab with in the Puget Sound area here in Washington, and. Um, uh, we're thinking about upgrading that boat and doing something a little different. So we actually just sold it. We're in between seasons and figure out what we're going to do next. But um, uh, that fishery is a blast. So if Bering Sea Crab is like, you know, big chess game with heavy equipment, and, you know, lots of crew members and, and big crab pots, Dungeness Crab is like the exact opposite. You're on a small boat in inside waters, protected waters. You know, the boat goes fast, you're fishing little pots, and uh, um, it's just myself and one other person. Um, a lot of times it's Bree, or it's one of my guys that I work with on um, on the other boats that are just kind of doing it for fun. But it's a, it's a cool little fishery. Um, we catch Dungeness crab, and we deliver them live to the dock every, every afternoon or night 
Um, so we're back in town every night and the crab it's, it's some of the first live crab that hits the market, um, in, uh, in October. And so, um, a lot of it gets shipped to China. Um, a lot of it gets, uh, uh, to the domestic live markets. So, um, you know, California is a big consumer, um, East coast, like, you know, there's, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. Like you bring the crab into the dock and by 5 AM the next morning, the crab is on a plane, either to China, New York, or on a truck to California. And, uh, you know, that crab is being consumed about, you know, 24 hours after we, uh, we've caught it. So it's a, it's a cool little fishery. Like many next generation fishermen, Sean is an eternal optimist looking to the future with a mix of both excitement of fishing and the challenge of raising a young family. Well, we're, uh, we're raising our daughter. Uh, we're starting with that <laughs> and, uh, she's 10 months old. And, um, so yeah, normally I'd be, I'd be up in Alaska in the summer times, uh, doing salmon tendering operations on the boat, which were basically a big freight driver for fish at that point. Um, and, uh, I'm not there right now. I'm at home spending time with Bree and with Blakely, our daughter. And um, yeah, I don't know. You know, the fisheries are in a little bit of turmoil. The, the summer survey that's going on right now will be a really big deciding factor as to what the future of our fisheries look like. Um, but for me personally, um, I think commercial fishing industry is just is, is my passion. And it's kind of going to be where I... I spend my career in one form or another. I don't know, you know, if, if, if Bering Sea crab is, is on its way out or if it's going to be on hold for a little bit, I'm going to have to find something else that keeps me busy. And if that's, uh, you know, more Dungeness crab or, um, you know, different fisheries like salmon or halibut black cod, or, uh, even maybe just working in the industry for a different outfit. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm kind of waiting, waiting to see what happens this summer, but, um, It'll be something fishing related. That's for sure. I love the, uh, the, the challenge and I love that, that no two days are the same. I mean, that's, that's really what gets me is, uh, I, I just, I, I really like that, you know, that it's always something different and it, it keeps you on your toes. You know, you, you, uh, you get really good at, um, at, um, you know, fixing problems or, or, you know, making decisions quickly to, to, um, to be able to, uh, you know, adapt, right? I mean, whether that's business decisions or, or even just daily fishing operation decisions, you know, I mean, that's the fun stuff is that you kind of control your own, your own destiny and the, uh, the, the conditions are always changing. So, you know, what you did last year might not work for this year. And, and, uh, that's the challenge that I love. Constantly challenging the weather, fishing conditions, crew and vessels to chase an often elusive catch, Sean Dwyer is a young professional who is passionate about what he does and who he does it with. He is a modern professional but is a true fisherman to the core. This is Fish Tales, a seafood podcast. A Deep in the Weeds production, I'm John Sussman. Follow us on Instagram at Fishtails Seafood Podcast or email us at fishtailspodcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay tuned for more tales from beneath the surface of the seafood world every Friday on your podcast app.